As far back as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a podcaster. Hello everyone, Bri the Movie Guy here, and joined with co-host extraordinaire Cody Wilfong, and on today's podcast we are hopping into the DeLorean, going back in time to the year 1990 to talk about one of my all-time favorite films, a true cinematic classic by the one and only Martin Scorsese. That's right folks, 1990, the release of the one and only Goodfellas. Hello everyone, Bri the Movie Guy here, and I'm along with co-host extraordinaire Cody Wilfong. How's it going? A little sick, but... Well, you know, you know, we've been there, we've yeah. done that. Of course, you know, if you need to pause for a second to blow the nose, don't be afraid to ask. Anyway, <laughs> we're here to talk about one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, good fellas. It's good, fellas. <clears throat> Ooh, had to clear my throat there for a second. Now... It's on a cheese. It has to be all the cheese. It has to be the cheese. But anyway, um, this movie is... It's not even the first Scorsese movie I've seen that I can remember. But for some weird reason, while I was rewatching it, I had an epiphany that this might actually be my favorite movie. And I go back and forth on what my favorite movie could be all the time. Sometimes it's Blade Runner, sometimes it's Ghostbusters, sometimes it's Inception, sometimes it's this, that, that. Pulp Fiction's another one that always enters. But this one's like rewatching it. I it hasn't been that long since I've rewatched it, but I you know, sometimes when I rewatch a movie for the podcast, I feel like I might pay a little more closer attention than I usually do. And I was like, "Holy shit, this movie's just fantastic." But Sadly, it doesn't have a lot of what-ifs, which this is the what-if podcast, so that section's going to be sadly short, but we have plenty to talk about with it. Um, so, to get things started, for the people who may not know, and if you... What is that? You just saying that just reminded me of the DX thing. What? For the thousands in attendance. For the <laughs> thousands in attendance. Wait, what? What was the whole thing at home? We have one thing to say, or two words for you. Suck it. God. Let's get ready to nope. suck, suck it. it. But anyway, for the people who may not know, <laughs> Goodfellas is the story of Henry Hill, a young man who grows up in the mob and works very hard to advance himself through the ranks. He enjoys his life of money and luxury, but is oblivious to the horror that he causes. A drug addiction and a few mistakes ultimately ultimately unravel his climb to the top. Based on the book Wise Guy by Nicholas Cage. <sighs> no, I wish, because that's a name I could say. I want to say it's Pelagi. It could be Pelagi, but I think it's it would be pronounced Pelagi. Okay. Nicholas Pelagi. Yeah. I could, it's anyway. Yeah, it, more than likely, but it's he actually co-wrote the movie with Martin Scorsese. They share writing credit, and they were both nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, I believe, for the Academy Awards, if that's... I have the list right in front of me. I don't know why I just don't look at it. But anyway, that's not the point here nor there. Um, this movie also stars Ray Liotta as Henry Hill, Robert De Niro as James Conway, Joe Pesci as Tommy DeVito, Paul Servano as Paulie, Lorraine Bracco 
as Karen and Frank Vincent as Billy Bats. And as I mentioned, it was co-written and directed by Martin Scorsese. Now, as I already mentioned, this is the What If podcast, so we have to talk about the What Ifs, but sadly there's not a lot of What Ifs. Now, I could have made up some different What Ifs, you know, it's arguable, but at the same time, I feel like I could think more What Ifs if this was like a Today movie. Because Joe Pesci's character, the real-life man, was actually, like, a kind of a monster of a man. He wasn't a short, stocky guy. He was a big, stocky guy. So, <laughs> like um... Well, no, not like how Like, he was muscular, kind of not thing. Chubby. Like, he's a big... Yeah, he wasn't chubby. He was just, like, a big guy. So, th- like, of course, like, the first name that obviously always pops in my head when I think of Italian-American actors is John Berthel. Just every yeah. t- single time, I was like, oh, yeah, so he'd what, be great. why don't we do that what if? Like, if we push it to today. I mean, we can. I mean, that gives us, like, a More. very inter... We can almost look into the Many Saints in Newark and yeah. go from there. Um, so, like, because, ironically, there is a shit ton of people from The Sopranos in this movie. Who's and, the guy that was in not not the main character in Peaky Blinders? He was one of the characters in Peaky Blinders. He was also in The Pianist. Adrian Brody? Yeah. I mean, he could be in it, but I don't... I don't know who he would play. He would, I, I mean, for starters, uh, Henry Hill and uh, and Tommy were both, like, way younger than the real-life ages of uh, Ray Liotta and Joe Pesci at this time. We'll get into that here in a bit. But um, here are the what-ifs we do know about. And while I'm saying these, if you think of some names, just throw them out there. So... First, most obvious what if that we always get with Italian-American mob movies. Al Pacino was offered the role of Jimmy Conaway. He turned it down, though, due to fears of typecasting. But the same year, Pacino ended up playing an even more stereotyped gangster, Big Boy Caprice, in Dick Tracy. Uh, He admits regretting this decision, and I would, too. Uh, Ray Liotta originally turned down the part of Harvey Dent in the 89 Batman to be in this film instead. Can you imagine that? Like, that's a whole, that's a whole different what if. Like for starters, we don't know who would have been in the lead role. Um, I would, you know who I could see during that time. And just because the untouchables popped in my head, Andy Garcia, Andy Garcia would probably, and he would also have been in um, Godfather part three. Around that time, I think 1990 was the same year Godfather Part Three, if I'm if I'm remembering right. Um, who who was was it? Mar- <coughs> is it Martin Brando or no? Marlon Brando? Marlon Brando is he the dude? He's the dude. Godfather. He is the Godfather. Yes, but he was too old by this time. Um, the, uh, taken. I mean, he wasn't old, old, but in 1990, he was up there. Like he's definitely. I mean, if anything, Marlon Brando could be Pauly. Which would make sense. Yeah, it would like, make sense. But, but like, I don't know, like, this is why this is such a harder what-if for me, because I think everyone's almost perfectly casted. Like, even if they don't match their ages, which, let's be honest, are late 80s, or 80s films, early 90s films, nobody looked their age. They didn't, they didn't take that into consideration. Yeah, but, like. but you also have to, like, think, like, sometimes these people age up, even though... The one character at the time of his death was a lot younger than Joe Pesci was, again, at the time of filming. But anyway, um, but, you know what, we'll get into it. Joe Pesci was in his 40s at the time of filming. And uh, Tommy... How old is he now? 
Um, dude, he would be in his, if he was in his 40s in 1990, he's at least in his 70s or 80s at this point. I, I would say 80s. Um, but Tommy uh, DeSimone, DeSimone, I think 80. that's how you pronounce it right. He's 80? Yeah. Said it. Um, the the character that his character is based off of, though, I, I'm, I'm messing up his last name. I apologize. I'm notoriously bad with names. Um, he was in his 20s. So, again, a lot older. But at the same time, uh, uh, it was said, and I think this is already in the 70% uh, facts, but um, it was said that Henry Hill said that Joe Pesci's, like, whole like demeanor and how he acted was like 90% on par 90 to 95% on par with how the, the real life Tommy was, which again, um, we'll get into to that a little more here shortly. And the last real, what if we have here is Robert De Niro was offered the role of either Jimmy, the gent Conway or Tommy DeVito. And he chose the former, obviously. So my question is why wasn't Jack Nicholson in this? <laughs> Why do we always go back to Jack Nicholson? <laughs> he w- he comes later in The Departed. Um, in all honesty, I never think of Jack Nicholson as an Italian. I don't think he's Italian. He's more Irish, I feel. Like. I feel yeah. Well, that's why he fits so well with the Boston. Yeah, the whole like uh, we we've already done the Departed. We should redo the what would we call it? The Redeparted. The redepartment. The re the redeparted. Um, I don't I I don't know what we. I there are some like I definitely want to revisit the Truman Show because that's one of my favorite movies and I feel like I mean I got into the whole like idea of Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage could technically be in Goodfellas. Can you imagine Jim Carrey being in this? He would. You know what? You could actually make him Sam Jackson's character, but we'll get into Sam Jackson's character when I get into my notes because like. I didn't realize how very little he was in this movie. Like, yeah. I knew he was in it short, but I didn't realize how short. Um, but, yeah. So, besides that, though, like, if there was someone, you know what? Uh, the kid who played... Is this the boss? Yeah, Paul Serrano, uh, or Servano. Wait, I'm saying his name. Oh, I'm saying his last name wrong. But anyway, yeah, he's a hell of a... It looks like they just changed his last name from his real last name. That's (laughs) pretty much what they did. I mean, we'll get into it. We'll get into the the 70% facts. But before we get to 70% facts, we got a gun at 88, back to the release of this movie, and that was... Hold on here, I gotta get it back in my notes. Ah, It shifted on me. Yeah, it was uh, September 21st, 1990. And uh, the top ten that weekend, uh, Goodfellas premiered number one. It had a weekend gross of six over six million. Uh, number two was Postcards from the Edge. Number three, Ghost, which I love that movie. A lot of people don't talk about that movie, but that's a good Swayze movie. Um, Narrow Margin, Funny About Love, Death Warrant, Flatliners, Presumed Innocent, Dark Man and at number ten, Hardware. Pretty much most of these movies, I guarantee most of our listeners have never heard of. Uh, the ones I can definitely know people have most likely heard of are uh, Ghost and Flatliners for sure, because Flatliners was a bit. Oh wow, that's interesting. At number twelve, there was a movie called Frankenhooker that was out. <laughs> uh, but um, of course, we got to talk about what the critics were saying at the time. 
This movie is certified fresh at 94%, but it has a rare higher audience score of 97%, which is usually when they have a pretty high tomato score. Tomato? Tomato. <laughs> 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 I did not mean to do that. Oh, my Hicks side came out. Um, but yeah, usually the when the, the KR and me... <laughs> We're from the country. We like it that way. Anyway, um, but yeah, um, usually high tomato scores are usually not, don't equal high audience scores. On IMDb, it sits at a comfy uh, 8.7 out of 10, so roughly an 87%, just like audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, we're just going to call it Rotten Tomatoes from now on. Uh, <laughs> This movie was nominated for five Oscars. It only won one. You know how much of a travesty that is? Who else won Oscars? You want to know who won that year? I'm going to tell you exactly who that... It, it was It was kind of... It was kind of dumb. Um, well, for starters, how do you feel about uh, Kevin Costner back in the 90s? I mean, I didn't hate the guy. <laughs> what if I told you that he beat out um, our good dude, Martin Scorsese, for not only Best Picture, but for Best Director for Dances with Wolves? Can we sit here and say that Dances with Wolves is a better movie than Goodfellas? Can we really no. sit here and say that? No, we can't. That's very important but to going forward do you here. I think there's a larger audience that... <clears throat> That is behind Dances with Wolves. I guarantee not, because it always gets compared to Avatar. And people seem to hate Avatar for some weird reason. I get why people hate Avatar, but, like, I read this post the other day online. It said, like, if you could live in any mythical world from a movie, which would you live in? And everybody was choosing, like, Star Wars, of course, because of Jedis and whatnot, or, like, Avengers, stuff like that. And I said... You know, besides, like, the war aspects of those movies, Pandora would be a hell of a place to live on. I mean, look at that movie that we're doing right now. Goodfellas. You see all of the <laughs> stars in it. The star, like, it's star-studded. You look at Dances with Wolves, and I can only tell you that I've really only seen Kevin Costner. That's fair. That's fair. I've seen a few of the other actors, but I understand. But, um, no, Goodfellas, for starters... It's number 17 on the IMDb 250. Um, I don't think Dances with Wolves. I can look it up how real quick. Far, how far is Godfather on there? Godfather, the last time I checked, was number two. But the thing is, I give this movie more credit for the success of The Sopranos than I would The Godfather. I think The Godfather is just a completely... Like, it's I think got its it, own identity. It, it, I think it ha it's that classic cinema. It's that classic, like, it, it's the... You want to look at a mob movie to, like, know how to make a mob movie. You look at this, and it's like, oh, okay. But, um... But otherwise... Wait, where am I on? What was I about to look up? Oh, yeah, Dances with Wolves. Now, um, the guy who was in The Sopranos is a good mob boss. Yeah, well, that... Before he died. Yeah, um... Okay, there it is. Dance of the Wolves is rated. It does have an eight point oh, but it's not even. It's not even on the IMDb top two fifty. But it did win seven Oscars, which I can understand some of the Oscars, but it it is one of those like kind of just prestigious old timey kind of films. Which it just reminds me of Clint Eastwood's old movies. 
That, that, and I think that was the appeal to it. My wow. Really it reminds me. Of... <laughs> I mean, you could you could turn your seat if you it want to. It reminds me of Clint Eastwood's old westerns, and I think what you were about to get into kind of reminds a lot of the older audience of their golden era. Exactly, and a lot of the Oscar voters are usually people that are like old timey like that. But and also, and I bet you in that around that time, a lot of the people on what do they call it that critics. Not the critics, the people who are the, like, what is the word I'm looking for? Magazines? Reviews? No, they're in charge of the, the committee. Okay. I'm sure a lot of the people in the committee were around in the 1950s around this time. Oh, yeah. And they it's always probably, older people. And they yeah. probably wanted to try to bring back that golden era. Or reward the gold, the movies that reminded them of the golden era. Well, when we were uh, planning, we're planning our uh, 1980s movie draft. Um, if you Which look we at, still haven't done yet. we still haven't done yet. It's still, it's still there. But um, <laughs> um, if you look at like the best picture winners of the 80s, it's like really just not that great of movies. Like for some weird reason, Raiders of the Lost Ark didn't win. <laughs> it was probably all western movies no it's not it, well they're like and a lot of romance they're either like sports dramas that are based they're all like based in the past they're all movies that are, were like based like in the past Blue pe- Garrett Babe Ruth kind of era older than that man. <laughs> like there was uh, I think uh, Amadeus one during the 80s and that was I mean it's a good movie but I forget what it was up against but anyway this movie was also like very different for the 90s like it is very violent. Like, they had to cut out, like, I forget how many frames of blood to keep Which it in R rating. Care. They wouldn't care now. It, 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 not now, but, like, you gotta think back then. Like, this was a very, like, we see dead, we see people's getting their heads blown off Especially left and right. Especially in the early 2000s. That was a gory. The early 2000s, well, that's where, like, the gore porn pretty much came <laughs> with horror films. That's where Saul, 2003 was Saul, so there you go. I remember Blade <laughs> 2 scared the hell out of me as a kid. I could see that, though. Especially, like, the, the vampires are yeah, kind of creepy in that. The scene where they're in the club and the dude with the long, curly hair, the vampire, yeah. gets taken down on the dance floor and this guy's mouth just opens like that. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> Go away! <laughs> but yeah, we're going to take a real quick bait, bake, <laughs> a real quick break, and then we will get into the fun facts. So, Cody, we just didn't hop universes. We've hopped locations. We are now recording for the first time and probably only, we might do it here and there, just sprinkle it around. But, you know, I don't want to disturb my neighbors or anything. But we're live in my apartment now. Yep. We are in 70% good facts. Um, so first good fact here I got is according to Henry Hill, whose life was the basis of the book. And I mentioned this earlier, Joe Pesci was about 90 to actually 99%, uh, very notable to, um, the character he's based off of. I'm going to mess up the name. I, I messed it up the first time we tried recording this, when, but it's then an that, Italian name, Tommy DeSimone. I'm going to say I, it sounds right. It sounds right. I'm, I'm probably off, but you know, it, it, we'll, we'll find out. Anyway, um, the How Am I Funny scene is uh, based off something that really happened to Joe Pesci when he was younger. He was a uh, he was a waiter or a busboy or something, and there's like this mobster guy. Is that his dad? 
Oh, no, no. Henry's dad uh, was the guy who was hitting him. We have Goodfellas playing on in the background, folks, and um, it's the part where uh, the mailman's getting slapped around a bit. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so that scene, um, Joe Pesci in real life told a mobster that he was... Uh, that he was, I guess, waiting on, you know, that he was a funny guy, and he was a lot less enthusiastic about it, did not think he, he the funny guy was not as funny as he thought he was, <laughs> let's just say that, um, but then, so, he tells Scorsese, Scorsese puts it in this movie, but only, the only two people who know about it, because they don't put it in the shooting script, is uh, Ray Liotta and Joe Pesci, and so, uh, if you notice, when that scene comes around, um, nobody, everybody's kind of like, I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> is this, is this okay? Why are we still recording? Uh, this and that and all that. But, uh, yeah, so it, it, kind of a little fun fact there. Um, the next one is that when, uh, Martin Scorsese first got wind of the book Wise Guy by Nicholas Pileggi, uh, it's either Pileggi or Pileggi. Um, I, I'm going to look it up and probably have future Brian correct me. Um, <laughs> But, um, when he got handed the, uh, when Martin Scorsese got the book and read it and stuff like that, he was like instantly called Nicholas Pileggi and he said, I've been waiting for this book my entire life. And then Nicholas Pileggi was like, I've been waiting for this phone call my entire life, which, um, Hey Martin, um, I don't know what I bring to the table, but Hey, I, I'm a funny guy and I, and I can accept it. Oh my God. I follow him on Letterboxd. And I I thought, like, I knew really good films. I'm like, nah, man. His, his whole list is a watch list. But I am, like, the movies I have seen, I always, like, give myself a, look at you, Brian. You're yeah, cultured motherfucker. That, well, that's Polly, man. He's just, you see what I mean? Like, so is, he the, is he the mob boss right now? He Well, he's the boss entirely of this. Well, even at that age. Yeah, yeah, Paulie's always the boss. Um, De Niro, like, De Niro, Pesci, and um, Leota, they're like a crew. They're like a three-man crew. They're like, they, they're they closer than thieves, pretty much. Like, there's Polly who they work under, but then those three guys always kind of do their own thing. They always got each other's back, but everyone's still kind of pro part of the same family. Um but yeah, man, just to think like being a writer and then Martin Scorsese calls you and says, I love your f book. I'm going to film it. I would I would die a happy man. Um, cool guys don't look at explosions, Cody. <laughs> um, what is that off of? Uh, it's a song. Yeah, it's a it's a and I think it's um what's it called? Lonely Island from SNL. I think it's that. Um, but anyway, so going on, um, we talked about method acting at one point yesterday, Robert De Niro, super, super, uh, big method actor. Um, he wanted to use real money during takes. He used $5,000 of his real money that was collected after each take. They made sure after everybody yelled cut, everybody froze, nobody left set and the prop master collected every bit of the $5,000 that Robert De Niro would hand out to people. Um, but he also got the tattoos. He has the real same tattoos. And he also figured he actually wanted, like, down to the detail, like, how he applied his ketchup to his to his noodles. Um, the, with the whole little, ketchup like... Ketchup to his noodles? If you watch when, um... Who does that? 
De Niro. Well, Have Jimmy. Have ever done it? <laughs> no, I can <laughs> honestly say I've never been that white in my life. <laughs> um, putting ketchup on. And it's funny because, like... Now you gotta try it. I, I probably have to, but like in that scene where they're having dinner with Mama Scorsese, um, they are um, he. You see him doing the ketchup, but at the end, at the very end, one of the things he complains about about being a normal schlub is that um, is it that like he idolizes uh, Robert Harris' character. Oh yeah, that's wh- that's how he gets involved with Jimmy. Is that there's like a? It's almost like a. What do I? I don't want to say I almost the Great like Gatsby. He carries himself like the boss and not the dude who is the boss. Oh, dude, Paul Servano is the boss. <laughs> Paulie is the boss. Like, they, I would not cross that man. Like, look at those. That's an intense look on that man. But De Niro's like, De Niro would be the muscle. Jimmy's the muscle, if anything, in, in this kind of scenario because he's just kind of. You know, that's a real 20, man. That's De Niro's 20. They got all of that back. Have you ever (laughs) seen a Bronx Tale? No. The kid that they have in that, he would have been an interesting, like, either, like, Elseworld Tommy or Elseworld Henry younger version. But the guy looks so much like Robert De Niro that you would be like, okay, this has to be playing his son again. So, all right. If you look up the Bronx Tale, like, the guy doesn't look like him now, but, like... Uh, De Niro, it, it's weird, I'm bringing it up because A Bronx Tale is like, okay, De Niro directed it, but if you watch that movie, it's kind of like a ripoff of this. If you had to, right now, if they remade this movie, mm-hmm. who would you cast in every... In every role? Jeez, okay. Like the main characters. The main characters? Okay. Um, what let about me Adam up? Driver? Adam, well, he's playing uh, Enzo Ferrari. That's coming out, I think, Christmas, they said. He I think seems it's like an Enzo Ferrari. Yeah, but I could see him. Who's that guy who... I would, want, I would want kind of more... Why didn't they cast the dude who played uh, Freddie Mercury? Uh, Remy Millick? As Enzo Ferrari. Because he's not Italian. But he looks like Mr. Ferrari. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. I was about to say, like, young Italian actors. Sorry, folks, I'm trying to Google this as we go along. Um, Oh, God, no, they gave me straight up just... Okay, let me be... Young American Italian Italian actors. Please don't do that to me. Uh, Okay, that's... Nick Jonas? Dude. Bradley Cooper? Ooh, Bradley Cooper would be a... Good Jimmy. Because, yeah, because, like, the whole thing with, like... They mention later on in the movie that like Jimmy and um, Jimmy and Henry if, are half half Irish. If he plays his character from War Dogs, but you all you would ah, male actors of Italian descent. Let's look through this. Like no Jonas brother, uh, Chris. <laughs> what? Oh, oh Leo. Oh, oh. <laughs> you would have to put Leo in, especially like let's have Scorsese be like, "Fuck it, I'm remaking my own movie." So it's would he be before. the boss? I would put... Because he's a little older. Okay, so let me look at this, because I would want Henry to be more... Ooh, the kid from... The kid from... I don't know if he'd be a good serious actor, though. Man, there's not... Steven Tyler. They're they're giving me, like, these are not young men anymore. Frank Sinatra? Uh, Hold on, Sylvester Stallone would be a good boss. He would be, like... What was that? 
What? Did you hear that? No. Oh, it's probably your neighbor. Uh, well, um, they're probably working on stuff next door. But anyway, um, anyway, uh, we'll get John Bon Jovi. Oh, did you see that? Jack Nicholson. He's in the male actors of Irish descent, though. Uh, I, I, I guess he Hayden could be Christensen. Part- Hayden Christensen. I none of these people look like. See, he wants someone to look like a stereotypical Italian. <laughs> no, I just feel like when you look at these people, like Ray Liotta to me is always Henry Hill. Robert De Niro is always Jimmy Conway, and you know, t- t- Tommy is always what Joe about, Pesci. Uh, the dude who played in Peaky Blinders, not, um, Adrian Brody. No, not him. Main um, character. Oh, Killian Murphy. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, see, because like, again, like, we got to think of the time frame because the the movie would still have to be based in the nineteen eighties. Um, even though this came out in nineteen nineties, still have to be very eighties based film. So, you almost kind of have to be stereotypical Italian when when casting. But anyway, we've gotten way off of the fun facts here. Uh, going back, though, into the fun facts. Um, we, we talked about how um, the studio, like, we talked about how the Oscars, they kind of, this wasn't a movie that was going to win just because of how old-fashioned a lot of, like, Fungus. a lot, how lo- how much a lot of the... Committee is sorry, I couldn't find that word. You couldn't find it now. I couldn't find it. But um, the stu- Warner Brothers almost wasn't going to initially release this. What about Johnny Depp? I don't think he would. Work. But with all the makeup, <laughs> with all the makeup, I guess if this was, let's say, take the fucking money. <laughs> he could be if this was okay. Twenty One Jump Street. Johnny Depp could possibly be a Henry Hill. But what if he had the voice of like, um, Whitey, Bo- like the Whitey Bulger? No, no, thing. not the Whitey Bulger voice. <laughs> Definitely not the Whitey Bulger voice. Uh, <laughs> um, that was a mobster movie. The, uh, Boston's people, people from Boston apparently hate that. I found out. I you, was like, okay, hate... duly nude, noted. They Why? hate Black Matt. They said it's just very off. <laughs> it's a very off movie. Uh, I thought it was good. Oh, I mean, we, but we're not from there. so um while driving to set um ray liotta listened to cassettes of interviews of nicholas pelegi or pelegi and that he did with henry hill and um henry hill would literally just talk about murders and hits and other crimes while just eating potato chips um fuck and it's uh derivations are used 321 (laughs) times an average of 2.4 times per minute, mostly by Joe Pesci. Um, we looked this fun fact up yesterday because this was about the time where we had to cut off recording. But um, we just decided to go with the flow and just record. What? Where he's like, you think I'm a funny guy? It might be. That's definitely the right suit. Um, but In the right place. Yes. <laughs> but the, the, the original script only called for the word fuck 70 times. But they were like, let's do it 321. But then... Um, as of 2020, this uh, Goodfellas is number 15 in the like list, and uh, Wolf of Wall Street, also directed by Martin Scorsese, is number three. Even though when we looked up that list, the first two are documentaries. Yeah. So Wolf of Wall Street definitely. <sighs> it's dude. There's so many interesting <laughs> cuts of De Niro. In He's this. just and going just, like. <laughs> they, well, because they're uh, they're setting up. This guy's going to be important later on to uh the um 
to the big job that they take, but we'll get into that very shortly. Um, the film tell like tells us that, well, first of all, we have to keep in mind that this is a first person point of view movie narration this, heavy with Henry Hill. What were you about this to... like a, a decade after taxi driver? This was two decades two after Tyvee Driver. So he was well, early seventies. Uh, it was about uh, no. Uh, Taxi Driver was the same year as Rocky because Rocky beat it for which, Best Picture, which was nineteen seventy six. Because they have the bicentennial, or was it? He kind of still looks yeah. like, but Taxi Driver. Ah, <laughs> uh, he's definitely aged. Like if you watch this in night and. Taxi driver back to back. There's a big difference. Now this is the how am I funny scene, um, but yeah. So the film being told in a first person narrative by Henry, um, he kind of sells himself up as like the big player in this crew and like a big gangster type. But in real life, like people who were like real mobsters said that he was like very low level and wasn't. He was more of a hanger on kind of guy. Like and the the. The, the big the big job that I'm not saying is Lufthansa. It's such Luf- a fake laugh, though. Did you notice that? Oh, his laugh. Yeah. Oh no, I I dude, his laugh it cracked me up. The um, it's like forced. Oh, it's definitely for, forced, but um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get into it very soon. I promise. Man, I keep stuttering. Okay, so but yeah, he was not that um, he was not that big of a care person in the mob mafia association. Um. I don't know if it's called the Mafia Association, but now it is. Um, according to U.S. Attorney Edward McDonald, who plays himself at the end of this movie when they're trying to go into uh, witness protection, um, one thing that they left out um, outside of the office while he was talking to Henry and Karen were two of uh, Henry's um, mistresses that he also wanted to bring into witness protection. Because, you know, having a wife with you and your kids wasn't good enough. <laughs> and then... My last fun fact here, and then we'll get into it, is uh, Goodfellas shares 27 actors with the hit television show, The Sopranos. Which, again, like I've said before, um, this the, the Sopranos doesn't exist without Goodfellas. Because this movie really projected it into the zeitgeist more than I believe Goodfellas, or than The Godfather did. But yeah, as you can see in the scene... Look at everybody looks really like unsure what to do. They're just kind of like looking around like, do we just keep doing here? But, you know, until the director says cut, you just kind of kind of have to keep going it's with the it. the two main actors that are keep going and the other ones are like, all right, are we going to. So they like they both know how long they're going to go. Yeah, like they pretty much know when it ends. And then that's when everybody like chimes in. And I, I think that, oh, man. I think improv in movie like this movie is very heavily improv, and I think that's kind of one of the reasons why it didn't win best original screen or not original uh, adapted screenplay, because a good chunk of it. I mean, if there's again, if they say fuck three hundred twenty one times, but it's written only seventy times, then it's definitely weaved in there where it wasn't supposed to be. The WWE did something about like this for a commercial. Oh, yeah, they did. It was when uh, I remember that it was WrestleMania. And they did WrestleMania in Hollywood. Yeah. They had the You Talking to Me scene. They had Goodfellas. They did two Scorsese things. They did, um, I forget who was the Clint Eastwood, but they did Dirty Harry. Um, and I forget who else, but they did a whole bunch. Of, I want to actually look those up later. And we should put, uh, I might put those, if I can share it to our uh, 
Facebook page, I will. And they yeah. all laugh. Oh, yeah, he smashes that bottle across his head. But since we've been watching this movie, I think it's now time for our last category. Well, they got the town. But anyway, uh, we are now in our last section. <laughs> We're in our last section, notes and quotes, or Goodfellas notes. Um, you get sh- no, no, that's from the glass. Yeah, that's from the it glass. It's like a bullet hole. A little bit, yeah. I mean, eh. Uh, So, in this section, we talk about our favorite quotes, and we talk about the movie. We've had the movie playing on in the background, and we're going to talk about it. And, well, these are pretty much my notes, my favorite scenes, my favorite... (gasps) Oh, quotes. If I get hiccups right now. (gasps) There, now it's coming on. Oh, man. (laughs) So... Oh, baby. Oh, what? (laughs) The, um... Obviously, I love the opening scene. I think the opening scene is one of the greatest of all times. It it sets up each one of the characters perfectly. It sets up Henry. It sets up Tommy. It sets up Jimmy fully as like each one of their dynamics, especially with how they choose to deal with the, as we know, unnamed body at this time that's in the trunk of the car. And then we get the most, one of the most iconic lines. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Hamster. Uh, hamster. When I, uh, when, when recording the, the sound clip, folks, um, when I saved the name, it said, I, I wanted to be a hamster. <laughs> <laughs> I love autocorrect. Anyway, um, I love, and I put, I made sure to put, I love Pauly because one of the things they make sure to mention, his whole thing, again, Oh, I know. Well, they're they're setting up this restaurant, which is, well, yeah, we'll get there soon. But um, yeah, Paul Servano though, as Pauly is just he he is he is Pauly. Like when you look at him, he looks like the guy who like he sits back, he relaxes, and like everything will get done when he wants it done. Um, what about John Travolta? Nope. Because <laughs> of Gotti. Gotti. Nope. <laughs> Gotti ruined him. Um, I didn't think Cotty was that bad. <laughs> uh, the next scene I have that you noted on was them beating the mailman yeah. um, for uh, delivering just the truancy notes of like, hey, Henry hasn't been in school for a while. They're like, okay, this is how we're going to handle it. I do like that they don't go like, all right, we're just going to kill Henry's dad then. But, I mean, even this stuff, like, seeing these guys setting up that the bamboo bamboo lounge get burnt down, like, that that doesn't seem like a high-level person in a mob kind of task. That seems like we send this guy to do it. Like, we're confident in him, but, you know, he's still new kind but of thing. you can't make a movie off of new people. No, you can't. Well, you can, well, I mean, again, you know, we can only accept so far of what Henry Hill says because... He's an untrustworthy narrator, pretty much. Um, but on that note, I do love that. Well, I do love the voiceover. I don't. I'm not huge about a lot of voiceovers in films, but for this, it works. And I like that throughout the movie, it does change. But we'll get into that part here in a minute. Um, one of my favorite things, though, is the, like when when he's a kid and he talks about being in the mob. He says like one day. One day, some of the kids from the neighborhood carried my mother's groceries all the way home. You know why? It was out of respect. <laughs> see, um, when I see him, Joe Pesci, I only really think of Home Alone. 
Ray Liotta's not in Home no. Alone. Oh, you when you see Joe Pesci, yeah. I thought you meant like when you see both of them. I was like, when I see both of them, I think Goodfellas. Uh, <laughs> it's funny though, because like Joe Pesci acted for like this amount of time and said, "Fuck it, I'm out," and then like just decided to live his best life. He came back recently for The Irishman. He was in that movie, which but that was with De Niro. De Niro again. It was a big, big Scorsese reunion. How can you go from Italian to Irish? Well, it's about, he's called the Irishman because he's, like, half Irish. And, like, it's about, there's a lot of mob stuff in that movie, too. Um, of course, this is the scene where Karen takes over, but we're not there just yet. We're going to, I'm trying to, like, speed up with this. Um, but I love that Scorsese. real cigarettes. I imagine that they probably did smoke on set. But um, I love that, like, Scorsese, um always has the camera moving a lot of the times, especially when it's, like, stuff with Henry. Yeah, like, it's always moving. Like, um, well, this is where the voiceover for Karen starts up. And when that's happening, like, that's where the camera's, like, mainly focusing on her, and it's starting to be more still. But anytime, like, Henry is, like, the main focus, or if he's, like, the one narrating, like, the camera seems to always move. But then, like... When that one scene where they, like, zoomed in on De Niro, like, there's a a lot of, like, zoom cuts, but even this, like, he's constantly moving because Henry's constantly moving. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't even take her up to the door. Um, We're actually getting into that very soon. But, um... So why is she crying? Because Henry's not there, and she was stood up on the date. We're gonna get there, man. You can't can't ask questions before this. This is the notes and quotes. (laughs) Um... Um, he takes the mob life more serious. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, and also like he wasn't like interested in Karen that night. This is where this. Well, we'll get there very soon. Um, but as we mentioned, Jimmy's intro scene slash meeting Henry. That's one of my favorite scenes. Um, but again, knowing Tommy is as old as Henry in this movie also messes with me because. Pesci and uh, Leota do not look the same age at all. They might be the same age at the time of filming, but I, for some reason, I doubt that. Uh, uh, I love the scene after um, Henry's first arrest in that they're all sitting outside waiting for him, and they have that, like, freeze frame of celebrating him. Congratulations. Here's your graduation Pinched. Everybody gets pinched, but you did it right. You told them nothing, and they got nothing. I thought you'd be mad. Man, I'm not mad. I'm proud of you. You took your first pinch like a man, and you learned the two greatest things in life. What? Look at me. Never rat on your friends, and always keep your mouth shut. Um, which is like, I took it as like, Henry took it as this was a, like a, a core memory of him. And like, we were seeing this core memory of him. Um, oh, she's beautiful. Uh, (laughs) um, then we go into meeting adult Henry, AKA Ray Liotta, which is a good scene. Um, then we get the whole, I of course we get, after we meet Henry, we get the whole meeting everyone in the bar. There was Jimmy and Tommy and me, and there was Anthony Stabile, How you doing? Frankie Carbone, 
And then there was Mo Black's brother, Fat Andy. And his guys, Frankie the Wop. Freddie No Nose. And then there was Pete the Killer, who was Sally Balls' brother. And you had Nicky Eyes. And Mikey Franchese. And Jimmy Two Times, who got that nickname because he said everything twice, like... I'm gonna go get the papers, get the papers. <laughs> we get everyone meeting in the bar, where that's where we get, like, people... Like, uh, you know, I gotta go get the papers, get the papers guy and stuff like that. John Dillinger. John Dillinger, Leota. Leota, when, at this time, like, I feel like something happened in this time frame where he just, I don't know if he was just not making the right kind of movies after Goodfellas, but it just seemed like he just couldn't get whatever was happening here. Um, um. I all, the soundtrack is always amazing in a Scorsese movie, but I think like this and The Departed have like two of the best. Um, Steven Berger. Uh, that first case we were talking about that will set up another case later is the it's about this uh, just stealing money from an airport. There was like a suitcase coming in, and we get that whole setup scene, um, and we actually in that have a cameo from uh wow i've lost his name for a second hold on pulling up the cast list pulling up the cast list i know i suck mike star i knew it was star but i couldn't think of his last name jesus christ it's a big kitchen yeah we're well i have a fun fact about this so uh keep on that for a second do a circle oh no it, it there's a reason why they did this yeah mike star has his cameo and he'll return later on in the movie um, and then we go into the how am I funny speech. What do you mean I'm funny? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny, you know. It's a good story. It's funny. You're a funny guy. <laughs> what do you mean? You mean the way I talk? It's just, you know, you, it's, you're just funny. It's, you know, the way you tell the story and everything. Funny how? I mean, what's funny about it? Tommy, no, you got it all wrong. Oh, oh, Anthony. He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? Right. Funny how? Just, what? Just, you know, you're, you're funny. <laughs> you mean, so? let me understand this, because I don't, you know, maybe it's me, I'm a little fucked up, maybe. Well, I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you? I make you laugh? I'm here to fucking amuse you? What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just, you know how you tell a story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. Get the fuck out of here, Tommy. <laughs> you motherfucker. I almost had him. I almost had him. <laughs> Iconic, of course. Um, and I had to note that Ray Liotta has the most interesting and hilarious laugh ever. Um... <laughs> um and then Sony, that scene you're talking about where you just said he looked like he had a hold in his head, that's Sonny. And uh, he was complaining about Tommy to Polly. And Polly pretty much sets it up to where he signs his life away. And that's where they have to burn down the uh, restaurant for uh, insurance purposes. Um, and then we get the bamboo goes up in lounge flames. 
Uh, we get the Karen Switch voiceover, which we already talked about. Karen confronts Henry, which we just saw, which, uh, that kind of, I think that's the moment where he just knew she was the one for him. Um, and then we get the great quote of, You ready? Yeah. Come on. Oh, no, wait a minute. What? Quick, you have to cover that cross. My mother sees that cross. Karen? Mom, I'd like you to meet my friend Henry Hill. How do you do? Hi, nice to meet you. My daughter says that uh, you're half Jewish. Um... It's just the good half. <laughs> but this whole scene, I don't know if you notice, I know you're watching, but there's like one chef throughout that whole scene who's like going in and out and he keeps staring deep into the camera while smiling. Like this guy was like, this is going to be my one and only chance to be on film. Um, and, but I just love, they literally give him a table. They are, right up front. Yeah, right up front in front of the band. Like they, that, that table did not exist until Henry walked into that place. Um, and then right here, this is them doing that suitcase job I just talked about with Mike Starr. He's like, the, uh, the original case that we'll get into shortly, Mike Starr's character was made up just to kind of simplify things. Uh, he's the quote unquote inside man. But another fun fact about that, uh, that long tracking shot with the restaurant that we just saw, um, it was shot through the Cabana nightclub came about because um, the filmmakers couldn't get permission to go right through the front door, forcing them to go around the back. Um, so Scorsese decided to film it in one broken, uns- uh, one unbroken shot in order to symbolize that Henry's entire life was ahead of him. It's his seduction of her, Karen, and it's also the lifestyle, the lifestyle seducing him. Um, and this sequence took eight times to get right. Which is impressive because, like, David Fincher, I don't know if you know much about him, but that dude literally, um, he's a perfectionist perfectionist and will redo scenes, like, 80 times. It's insane. get old as an actor. Oh, for sure. For sure. Could you imagine? That's probably what takes so long for movies sometimes. (laughs) Can you imagine just spending your entire day on one scene? I mean, I, I, I can see it because you hear about it so much, but it's like... Man, if if the result is right, it's like okay, cool. You 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 go for perfection, fine. But if it's not right, then you know, like you just wasted so much money, so much everybody's time to give a shit. Don't do that, sir. Because I, the way I think about it is, if you're going to be a director and you take that much time on a scene, I would think like, is this scene going to win me an award? I don't want to think in terms of a reward, but because. If I was if I directed movies, I just would want to make sure the product I was releasing that was gonna have my name on it was the best possible thing that I could release. So Scorsese and Wolf of Wall Street with Leo smoking crack out of a hooker's ass. That's part of the whole narrative. Like <laughs> it, like that scene. Like I once because. It was before the whole acceptance of, like, long-ass movies, because now we're at the point where, like, long-ass movies are just here and there all the time. Right, before Wolf of Wall Street, we were used to, what, two, 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 two hour, hour and a half? Two and a half seemed long at one point, but now it's like, Wolf of Wall Street seems relatively quick, it like, and it what, is a really and quick and a watch. It, it's three hour plus, I remember that, but, like... Irish um, is the longest. Irish, well, I think Killers might have beat it now killers of the flower i gotta I look that I up no oh, um 
I would give you my password, but I don't memorize it. It's on the back of my thing, but that's all the way upstairs. Anywho, um, so Maury's wigs. Vinny Funkahana. On that note, let's actually take a word from our fake sponsor. Don't buy wigs that come off at the wrong time. Maury's wigs don't come off, even underwater. And remember. Maury's wigs are tested against hurricane winds. Don't forget about money. You can afford a Maury wig, price to fit every budget. So call me now. Puts it in her hand. Yep. That's, uh, but we'll get to that scene very soon because we're always, oh yeah, no, we're actually right here. Okay, so, um, we the scene before this, Jimmy wanted his money, so he beat someone. And but then like Henry gets a call from Karen, and we that when they were on that that vacation, there's that creepy guy from work that came up to her. It's implied that he tried doing stuff with her. So in that scene, we get we get the great quote. Well, before I'll get do a fun fact that I forgot to mention, Ray Liotta's mom was dying died of cancer during this, and so he took out a lot of his rage at times for like the very violent moments. So during that scene with the pistol whip, like he's letting it out. Like that's the most violent scene he said he's ever filmed in his life. And Scorsese, Scorsese, I mean, it's a violent moment. Like he is pistol whipping the guy. And I, but obviously the biggest, that is Martin Scorsese's mother. That Mama Scorsese put respect on the woman. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, oh, that's my next note. Baba Scorsese, wedding reception. <laughs> but um, but I love Karen's line in that scene of the... Hi, Chris. Are you all right? Are you all right? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I know there are women like my best friends who would have gotten out of there the minute their boyfriend gave them a gun to hide. But I didn't. I gotta admit the truth. It turned me on. And that's when, you know, we get the wedding here. But Mama Scorsese, but up until she passed away, she always made some sort of little cameo in a bunch of his movies in one way or another. In this movie, she she actually plays the the uh, the mom to uh, Tommy, to Joe Pesci's character, which it fits. I could totally buy her as Joe Pesci's mom. Um, um, so... As you're about to see here, because this is my next note, and then my notes are actually going to get a little ahead of us, and then after we're done recording, if you want, we can start watching this a little bit. They're about to get handed a shit ton of money. I really want to know just from this wedding alone, because as you can see, those are Benjamins, and some of the envelopes are a lot thicker than others. Now, might be just a $100 bill in one and a few, but like some of those are thick. I really want to know how much like wedding day money they got. Because now we're seeing down the line, Jesus. everyone has an envelope. Everyone. And she's, like, overtaken with joy, almost. Um, so, <laughs> the next scene that's about to happen is, um, now that they're married, like, they're going to kind of, like, get used to each other's lives. And Henry, like, comes home, or, like, comes home very late. And his mother-in-law 
is um, just yelling at him. And he just straight up just starts laughing at her while he walks away. Like, he just walked in the door. He's getting nagged. He just leaves and starts laughing and just drives away. Um, And then right after that, we get the scene where Karen starts kind of more realizing the kind of life she kind of signed up for because she starts listening to the other mob lives. Yeah, this is the scene where... Like, he's not home yet, so they're all... I don't know why they're living with her parents, to be honest. I think that part's a little weird. What kind of person does it call? Um, If he's such a grown-up. So, um, after Karen, though, realizes that, like, um, the kind of life she gets into, she... um, (laughs) So... There's a line I'm trying to specifically get to. I know we're getting distracted with the movie. But she starts talking about like... When Haley picked me up, I was dizzy. I don't know. I don't know if I could live like that. God forbid. What would happen if you had to go to prison? Karen. (laughs) Mickey said that Jeannie's husband... Do you know why Jeannie's husband went to the can? Because of Jeannie. Because he wanted to get away from her. That's why. That and then uh the next note and I'm a little confused on it because uh I wrote these notes a few days ago. Um the photos give the movie a real nice touch oh okay. We see a bunch of like photos later on of everyone with each other. Obviously there's like photos with the actors in it, but um I think it gives the movie a real nice touch. But we get to the scene that kind of finally starts us on the road where we're going to get back to the the beginning of where we started out in this movie and it's we meet uh Billy Bones um and Billy Bones says him and Tommy are getting into this kind of like back and forth with each other and Tommy decides to kind of give shit or no sorry Billy decides to give Tommy shit about used to being a shoeshine boy. And the very infamous quote. Hey, Tommy, if I was going to break your balls, I'd tell you to go home and get your shine box. <laughs> oh, this kid was, this kid was great. They, they used to call him spit shine Tommy. I swear to God. Oh, he make your shoes look like fucking mirrors. Excuse my language. He was terrific. He was the best. He made a lot of money, too. Salute, Tommy. One more shines, Billy. What? I said no more shines. Maybe you didn't hear about it. You've been away a long time. They didn't go up there and tell you. Uh-huh. I don't shine shoes anymore. Relax. What are you fuck crying out? What's, what's got into you? I'm breaking your balls a little bit. That's all. I'm only kidding with you. Sometimes I mean, you don't sound like you're kidding. You know, there's a lot of people around. I mean, I'm only kidding with you. We're having a party. I mean, I just came home. I haven't seen you in a long time, and I'm breaking your balls, and you're right away you're getting fucking fresh. I'm sorry. I don't mean I'm to right. offend you. I'm sorry, too. It's okay. No problem. Okay. Salute. Now go home and get your fucking shine box. Motherfucking hey, mutt! You, you fucking piece of shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on, come on! Let him go. 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 With the beginning, Tommy decides to leave. He says he'll be back, and Nero that's De Niro's bar, and he has Billy's there. Now, there's something to note that the reason why Billy's at the bar, 
that this guy has been gone for a long time, so he is there just celebrating and... Well, anyway, Tommy comes back and he kills Billy Bones. So guys, full disclosure, I finally figured out why I kept saying Billy Bones instead of Billy Bats. Before we recorded this podcast and when I was doing my notes, I had been showing my girls the Muppets Treasure Island movie. In that movie, Bill Conley plays Billy Bones. Um, I didn't make the connection until I just re-recently had to re-watch it with my girls again, so the world makes sense again. But I 100% know it's Billy Bats, and I know that Billy Bats is played by Vincent or uh, Frank Vincent, and that, yeah, he's never called Billy Bones in the movie. I know that. It was just complete mind, just, yeah, brain fart. From that point on, they're driving away. They're trying to, like, get rid of the body. And we get to the scene that I have call Mealtime with Mama Scorsese. There's just... Their whole conversation, I'm probably just going to play it here because it's great, especially what uh, what uh, Tommy says about why he needs to borrow a butcher knife. That stuff is great, but it's like lead. So tell me, tell me, where have you been? I haven't seen you. I haven't even, you haven't even called or anything. Where have you been? Well, Mom, I've been working nights. And? Um, well, tonight we were out late. We took a ride on the, out to the country, and we hit one of those deers. I told you where the blood came from, I told you. Jimmy told you before. Anyway, you know, it reminds me, I need this knife. I'm going to take this, it's okay? Okay, yeah. I just need it for Bring a little, it back, though, you know. Well, the poor thing, you know, we got. I hit him and his. Uh, we hit the deer and his paw, what do you call it? The paw. The paw. The, the, the hoof. The hoof got caught in that grill. Oh. I got I to gotta hack it off. Ooh. Come on, it's a sin. You're going to leave it there, you know. So. Anyway, I'll, I'll bring your knife back if they do Anyway. Delicious. Delicious. Thank you. Why don't you get yourself a nice girl? I get, get a nice one almost every night, ma. Yeah, but get yourself a girl so you could settle down. That's what I, I mean. settle down almost every night, but then in the morning I'm free. I love you. I want to be with you. I want to settle down. <laughs> So that whole scene, though, oh, with Mama are. Scorsese, though, yeah, I mean, they definitely get caught because, again, this is all based off a true story. This is all history. This Most of this happened. I can't say all of it because a lot of it clearly dramatized or made up by Henry Hill, more than likely. I love that she offers the cops coffee every time they come and search the house, too, by the way. But, yeah, the whole dinner scene with Mama Scorsese was improvised. And funny enough, when doing the scene... He didn't tell his mom, like, yeah, so they just murdered a guy, and they're just kind of there, because because the whole thing is they find her, or they, she finds them sneaking in in the middle of the night, and she wakes up, just starts making the meal. That's all she was told to do. Like, they're coming over, make them food. And so that food is, like, real food, so that's why in that scene they're eating it up. And I hope she made it, too, because I can imagine she's a great cook. I don't know what this note means. I'm going to read it, and hopefully it makes sense. <laughs> this scene really displays the difference between Jimmy, Tommy, and how they handle... Oh, okay, no, okay. This is a note going on with the Mama Scorsese scene. So, in that scene... Oh, okay, these are the photos I was talking about. Okay, so, they're, none of them are real. But just seeing these photos, it really does kind of... I have photos from when, like, my parents were younger that look like those photos. And I think those photos give it a real nice touch. <laughs> but the scene that I'm talking about, in that in, in the dinner scene, though, uh, if you notice... Uh, Jesus. 
Yeah, that's a lot of money. Dude, there's a lot of money you see in this movie. Ray Liotta doesn't eat, but Tommy and... Well, okay. Henry isn't eating, but Tommy and Jimmy are eating up everything. And it really shows that Tommy starts kind of getting uncomfortable with the lifestyle at that point. After... <laughs> yeah, I know. After they have the dinner, though, scene, money we're talks. finally... Oh, yeah, money always talks, man. Um, after the dinner scene... We're all caught up with the beginning, and, um, yeah, that's that's that. And then, so, as you know, my notes always get sporadic when I get into a movie. Uh, the next thing I have, though, is that they have to uh, dig up Billy Bones' body after six months, but they have to dig up Billy Bones, Billy, I keep calling him Billy Bones. Is it, it's Billy Bats. Why do I call him Billy Bones? Because he's dead. <laughs> they have to dig up Billy Bat's bones. After six months, though, um, there's a scene where we, they show him having to dig up his body, and um, they're pretty much silhouettes, and there's a red lighting behind him, and that right there, fucking amazing shot. I love, like, uh, on the rewatchables, they have something called Good Shot Gordo. That would, if there was, if I could give that award, that's the award, that's the reward that's the scene I would reward is that because I just love the silhouette. I love the scene. I love that Jimmy again. It's another scene where Jimmy and um, Tommy are just Jimmy and Tom. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Jimmy and Tommy are like kind of shooting the shit, joking around and Henry is like getting sick. He can't handle the smell. So again, it shows this, this difference of like Henry always wanted to be in the lifestyle, but Jimmy and Tommy were always actually about the lifestyle, I feel, personally. Um, so, after Billy Bats, after that scene with... Uh, or, okay, no, Billy Bats. I saw Billy Bones. I confused myself. After the Billy Bats scene, Spider gets shot. And this is the part where um, Tommy starts getting a little annoying, in my personal opinion. Like, he just keeps going too far each time he starts doing stuff. And now, again, it could be our perspective of... Henry kind of changing his mind about the lifestyle a little bit. So, but yeah, Spider says his last, and then after Spider gets shot, we see Spider in a boot, and he pretty much says his last words to Tommy. He tells Tommy to go fuck himself, and Tommy shoots him, and that's where I really feel like he just goes too far. And then, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Henry had a lot of like women he was sleeping with on the side and one of them was named Janice apparently and there's a part where Karen confronts Janice and she says she's like freaking out He she's like punching num numbers telling everyone I want you to know and then w one of my favorite quotes is she calls up the manager of the building and says hello hello this is Karen Hill I want to talk to you hello hello don't hang up on me I want to talk to you And then the next scene we get is her um, with a gun up to Henry's face and we get the wake up Henry. 
and her confronting him about cheating on her. Um, and then the next, uh, the note I made for this scene is after he calms her down, he instantly just slaps the shit out of her and starts beating her. And I was like, I would not beat the person who felt the need to put a gun up to my face, let alone sleep next to that person still who could still put a gun up to my face. And also, you just don't beat women. That's wrong. I The next quote I have is um, after the Tampa, Florida Zoo thing. Um, the quote, now take me to jail. Um, Henry is sentenced to prison, and Polly's there, and a bunch of other people. And we get, like, the legendary them in jail, living like king scene. And one of the things I had that I've always noted, and it's, like, one of the most famous scenes, is the thin slice garlic by Polly. I've always, anytime I slice something and I know I have to do it thinly, I always try to slice it like Polly does the garlic in this movie. Um, but there's also a really funny thing. Uh, they're like cooking steak. Um, and they go, one of the guy goes, how do you like your steak? He goes, I felt they used too many onions, but it was still a very good sauce. Don't put too many onions in the sauce. I didn't put too much onions in it. Oh, Three small onions, that's all I did. Three onions. How many cans of tomatoes you put in there? I put two cans, two big cans. You don't need three onions. Johnny Deal did the meat. We didn't have a broiler, so Johnny did everything in pans. I used to smell up the joint something awful, and the hacks used to die, but he still cooked a great steak. Hey, how do you like yours? Red. Medium red. Medium red. Hmm, aristocrat. And I don't understand why medium rare makes you an aristocrat, but it was something me and Jason actually used to quote each other all the time when we were younger. Okay, uh, the next scene I have is that um, they're in the visiting area, and when they're panning over in the visiting area, there's a dude straight up just getting head from someone. I'm just like, what the fuck? I've never noticed it before until now. Um, <laughs> and then we cut to four years later, Henry getting out of jail, um, and the thing Henry started doing in jail was started to deal and like kind of get into the drug business. Paulie tells him the next scene I have is Paulie telling him pretty much, uh, don't do that. And then the next note I have is the actor Tobin Bell, aka Jigsaw from the Saw movies, makes a small cameo as Jimmy's parole officer in this movie. Um Then we, there's another note I have, um when Henry is starts making a lot of like drug money, they show this scene where they have like this entertainment stand, and I put that the entertainment stand wall looks like something from the Flintstones. Um, they uh, now the thing the heist I kept like talking about that I was like I didn't I don't know why I feel like I shouldn't spoil it before it happens. I also needed a little help because sometimes when I can't remember how things are said, I have to like write little notes and how to say it. Lutanza heist is like the big heist of this movie. And we start getting the setup of this. Now I mentioned that Jack Sam Jackson is in this movie for a very short time. He plays stack Edwards. We get introduced to him once. We know that everybody loves stacks and he plays the guitar and, uh, yeah, that's, that's very first scene with Sam Jackson. That's all we get of him. He's literally walking in a bar, says hi to people, and that's it. Um, 
Then the next scene I have is that Henry's in the shower and he starts hearing that the uh, Lutanza heist was a success and he starts like screaming, Yeah, Jimmy, you son of a bitch! Nobody knows for sure just how much was taken in the daring pre dawn raid at the Lutanza cargo terminal at Kennedy Airport. The FBI says $2 million. Port Authority police say $4 million. The city cops say five. Uh, then after that, the next note I have is just as fast as we met Stack Edwards, Stack gets whacked by uh, um, Tommy, um, which is really funny because in that scene, um, one of the other people that's, um, do I have that actor listed right now in front of me? I do not have his name, um, in front of me at the moment. Uh, oh, uh, Frank Severo plays Frankie Carbone, and he's making coffee at that time, but, um, again, it's a very graphic scene when I talked about, like, people, we see people's heads getting blown off. When they, when we see Sam Jackson getting shot in the back of the head, that blood splatter is graphic. Um, and then the next thing I have is um, when Murray gets uh, whacked because he keeps uh, annoying Jimmy about getting his cut of the uh, Lutanza heist money. But um, so the next like everything starts shifting from like them just building up the crew up and up to like everybody just starts dying. So Jimmy starts killing everybody anyone who was uh anyone attached to the Latanza heist everyone starts getting whacked but we get this great montage to the uh to the ending of Layla and then that one that tracking shot of the meat thing where we see uh Frankie Compone and he's frozen stiff in the meat thing and that I love the the quote when they found Carbone in the meat truck he was frozen so stiff it took them two days to thaw him out for the autopsy. Jesus. Yeah. Um, but then we get, like, the pink Cadillac, the guy who... It was a wedding gift from my mom. Um, it's in her name. It's it's no big deal, Jimmy. Um, everyone who is part of that heist besides um, Henry starts getting whacked pretty much because they want to make sure n there's no loose ends. Plus, they get more money that way. Then we finally, sadly, get the Tommy being made scene, which actually turns out Tommy is paying the price for killing Billy Bones because you can't kill a made man. If Tommy was a made man and he went to, like, the the head up of their family about it and, like, said, I have a quarrel with him, he disrespected me, maybe something could have been done. But Tommy killing uh, Billy, Bo uh, Billy, Billy Bats, I keep, I don't, do they call him, I <laughs> they have to call him Billy Bones at some point. I, for some reason, really keep calling him Billy Bones. Billy Bats. Um, God, it sounds like I don't know this movie sometimes, I swear. Um, and then we get the scene of Jimmy finding out Tommy was whacked. But I also have the the quote of... They even shot Tommy in the face so his mother couldn't give him an open coffin at the funeral. Which is just sad. And then, finally, everything, the shit truly hits the fan. We get the title card 
Sunday, May 11th, 1980, 6.55 a.m., a.k.a. Henry in the Helicopter, a.k.a. Henry in the Worst and Most Paranoid-Filled Day Ever. Uh, and then uh, the next note I have is, well, uh, me and my brother used to make fun and, like, redo this scene, just joking around all the time, because the whole scene, Ray Liotta is, like, constantly looking for this helicopter and so anytime we would ever be riding in the car, we would randomly just start looking, looking up intensely at the sky as if we were afraid of a helicopter. And we would do that all the time. My mom and dad would get pissed at us because we would – it was always just so dramatic of a look up. But, um, it, but it's funny. So much is happening in this scene. I have a lot of notes for this scene. But um, I have the quote of – don't yeah yeah me Lois, and then um, I love the whole tone shift because one of the things that happens is he takes a bump of cocaine when he goes to um, um, who who's the girl? I forget the girl's name that he's uh Sandy. He's going. He's at Sandy's house, and Sandy's the one who does the coke deal. She's play. She's I do know she's played by Debbie Mazer. Um, but she's like, there. he's there to get the coke, because he, the whole day is surrounded with him having to do a bunch of drops, a bunch of pickups, a bunch of jobs in one filled day, and with his luck, he is being tailed and watched by a, I'm, I think he says it's the DEA, I don't know, I'm pretty, because he calls them narcs, and from my, from my knowledge, narcs have always been DEA agents, um, but yeah, so it's just paranoid filled all day, and he keeps taking so many pills, so much cocaine throughout the entire day. Um, but he finally gets busted by the DEA. This starts issues with Jimmy and Polly because when he's in jail, he knows he's going to get whacked. Because for starters, Polly now knows he he's dealing drugs after Polly told him specifically not to do the drugs, and then Jimmy feels like he's going to get ratted out for the Lustanza job. But one thing, uh, Henry gets out of jail, and he gets weirdly mad at Karen for getting rid of the drugs when they were raiding the house during that whole paranoid-filled day, which I don't think is necessary because I feel like his bail would have been so much worse or his prison time would have been worse if they found the entire brick of cocaine in his house. Oh, yeah. Um, but then after he gets out... Henry goes to Polly for help. Polly gives him 3200 bucks and turns his back on him, which, again, I just love that whole exchange between them. Then, this is actually, like, one of the scariest moments for me in this movie. Jimmy, like, Karen goes to talk to Jimmy before, before, uh, before Henry does. Actually, wait, no. Again, my, my notes are static, but, um... Okay, no, no, this goes in hand. So, uh, Karen goes to Jimmy. Jimmy hands her some money. He's, like, trying to talk to her about stuff like that. And Jimmy's clearly just trying to figure out, do you know if Henry told them anything? That's what he keeps asking. That's all he really cares about, which makes sense. And she's like, no, I, he, you know, he hasn't t told them anything. And... He says, "You, I got some nice suits for you." And he says, "Go down to the store, down to that corner store. Just go down in there and just take anything you want. It's on me." She like goes down there. First thing we notice right away, 
neighborhood sketchy as fuck. Very sketchy neighborhood. But then when she gets to that corner store and she looks in there, there's a bunch of dudes clearly like either stealing shit or moving shit, and they just all look at her. Jimmy's pretty much setting her up to either be murdered or raped at that scene. That's what I get from that scene. But she like runs away, and then she goes home. And there's also a scene where Henry and Jimmy do actually meet face-to-face again. I forgot to note it. But um, Jimmy, for one, asks Henry to whack someone. And Henry makes note that Jimmy never asked him to whack anyone in his life. But you know that kid? You know, from the city we're talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Kid turned out to be a rat. As soon as he got pinched, he ratted everybody out. He ratted us all out. I know where he is. He's hiding now. He's you know, he's... I'm saying. Would you have a problem going with Anthony on vacation? He'll take care of it. No, not at all. I wait. I got nothing. Jimmy had never asked me to whack somebody before, but now he's asking me to go down to Florida and do a hit with Anthony. That's when I knew I would never have come back from Florida alive. But yeah, after that scene, Karen drives home and she... Wait, maybe that scene with Jimmy happens after Karen... Anyway, though, Karen goes home, and she just keeps claiming that she just got scared is all. Because nothing technically did happen to her, but it is the thought of something very well was going to happen to her, though. That's the bad part. Jimmy and Henry and Karen decide to go into witness protection, and there's a... We already talked about that scene, so the, the, the officer in that scene is the real-life officer who handled the case, so, like, that's how he knew the knowledge he had. And during that scene, Karen finds out, like, she pretty much has to, she will not get to see her family anymore. And if they're sick, maybe there could be cer- certain circumstances. And, like, what they're offering her with the witness protection is, like, the best deal they're going to get. And she's trying to act like, I, they want him. I don't know anything. And he, like, makes it clear, like, they want him. And if they want him, they're going to use you, they're going to use your kids, they're going to use your family, they're going to use anything they want to get to him by you. After, Because what he's pretty much going to do now to pretty much save his own skin is going to rat on Polly, Jimmy, and all them. And so, but one thing the officer says is, You need Henry, you don't need me, right? That's right. And frankly, I don't care whether you go or not. If it's going to make him a happier witness, a better witness, I'd like you to be with him. You want Henry. They don't want me. But Henry's going to be in a witness protection program. They're not going to be able to get to him. The only way they can get to him is by getting to you, getting to your kids. If he goes into the program, forget about it. You're in a great deal of danger. I think you I understand I don't know anything. That. Come on, you don't know anything. Don't give me the babe in the woods routine, Karen. I've listened to those wiretaps, and I've heard you on a telephone. You're talking about cocaine. Conversation after conversation, you're talking to Henry on the phone. doesn't matter because whether he goes to jail or whether he stays on the street and he beats the case he's a dead man he knows it and you know it 
about the kids with school? They, they get left them? back. I mean, what goes on? A bunch of guys go down on Wall Street and get some real fucking crooks. Whoever sold you those suits had a wonderful sense of humor. What it comes down to, Karen, is we're basically your only salvation. We're going to save your life. We're going to save his life. And we're going to keep you out of jail. That whole – his whole speech and how he says like this is what's going to happen, love that whole thing. And I think by having a professional like he's not an actor but there's an authenticity because he's delivering it like how I would imagine it would be delivered to me in real life. But there is also that kind of knowledge of I am in a movie and this is happening. Um, and then after that we get – during that scene, though, of him giving that speech, we do see Jimmy and Polly get arrested. And then um, we get the trial scene where he finally rats them out to their face on the stand. And we get the... It's a really interesting ending. Because Henry is living somewhere in Ohio now. It's confirmed. Because uh, judging from... I forget what the news, newspaper said. But it I think it's Youngstown. It's a far drive. Yeah. Well, I mean, for us, but I mean, for him, that's just where he lives. But he's in, well, I guess from here too. <laughs> but um, it's in Youngstown. He's in Youngstown, Ohio. And that's where we get the line of, last week I ordered uh, spaghetti and meat. Well, what happened, there's something interesting. And we'll play the clip, but Henry starts talking about. In view of the violence, anything I wanted was a phone call away. Free cars, the keys to a dozen hideout flats all over the city. I'd bet 20, 30 grand over a weekend, and then I'd either blow the winnings in a week or go to the Sharks to pay back the bookies. Didn't matter. Didn't mean anything. When I was broke, I would go out and rob some more. We ran everything. We paid off cops. We paid off lawyers. We paid off judges. Everybody had their hands out. Everything was for the taking. And now it's all over. What we've been hearing, what I, well, what I kind of see it is like what the story we're hearing is him like either talking to the witness protection officer or he, this is what he's saying on the stand. That's how I interpret it. And so after that scene though, we get him in Youngstown, Ohio, I'm like 90% sure. And he's given this voiceover about the other day I ordered spaghetti and marinara sauce. You know what I got? I have to wait around like everyone else. Can't even get decent food. Right after I got here, I ordered some spaghetti with marinara sauce, and I got egg noodles and ketchup. I'm an average nobody. I get to live the rest of my life like a schnook. We get this weird cut where all of a sudden it's Joe Pesci aiming a gun at the camera, and it's Tom, well, it's Tommy, and he's shooting at the camera, while, like, Henry, or, yeah, Henry is staring up at the camera, and we get Sid Vicious's What a Wonderful World, the, the cover from Frank Sinatra's, um, song, but it's always been this, like, interesting thing of what that could mean, because this movie is almost like Henry Hill, a coke dream. Almost because there's interesting things happening. The the way that people are seen dead and like how they die is just like obviously it's movie, but it's like it's almost exaggerated. Like like when we see Carbone in that meat freezer, like he is deep in that meat freezer and he's hanging there. He has icicles frozen off of him. Um, when uh, 
when Sam Jackson gets blown away in the back of the head, um, blood comes out everywhere, and then Tommy's. We didn't. I didn't talk about his um, assassin or when he gets killed a lot, but like they show us directly in front of Joe Pesci with the gun. Like they grab his shoulder and they shoot him in the back of the head. That blood splurts out, and then we get an overshot, and then like him laying on the ground, and that blood is just flowing out of his head. It was again like. It's kind of also surprising that a movie like this would be nominated for Best Picture at that time. Now, today's, this is a winner. This is a winner. If it didn't, if it should have, I think, I don't think Dances with Wolves should have won, personally. Well, all those Academy people. Yeah, it's the Academy people. Yeah, you know. Well, well, that was the whole thing of the hashtag Oscars are so white, was that the committee itself was also very white. There was, and it was also like a certain age range. So that's why like Ice Cube, for instance, is an Academy Award person, like, or, or committee member. Like, that's awesome to me. And then like you, we also, but there's like younger people. I, I don't know how I can become a committee member, but I would totally do it. But unless it costs money. I ain't doing that money. shit. They need to pay me. <laughs> I'm going to be straight up on it. I put the hours in. I'm actually watching that. Dude, there have been so many reviewers that have, like, come to, like, they'll, like, if it's Oscar season and, like, certain movies get noticed or in conversations, there have been review people who've reviewed or people who voted for movies who's, like, who have stated clearly. No, okay. Let me rephrase this. Not reviewers. Voters. I wanted to say voters. I kept saying reviewers for some weird reason. My bad. My mistake. Um, that they've wholeheartedly, uh, wholeheartedly <laughs> admitted to not even watching some movies. Like the, I remember the first instance I heard about it was actually Twelve Years a Slave. Well, then they when that be won. on the committee. They and shouldn't, and that's why I should be. <laughs> if they don't watch, take the time. It's yeah. your job. Because 12 Years of Slave is a good movie. It was That's how Brad Pitt has an Oscar. Well, no, that's one of Brad Pitt's Oscars. The it's, other one's for Once Upon a Time. It's your job to watch these movies. It, you, you, if you're in the committee, like you have the access to every, almost the best films of the year at your disposal. Like, really take those in. Like, don't take that for granted, because, like... It's sometimes hard for me, like, when people ask me, like, I used to be a guy where anybody could ask me, have I seen a movie, and it it was always yes. Nowadays, it's kind of hard to watch everything, like, because I'm not paying for every, like, I just recently got Netflix, and that was only specifically for The Killer, and The Killer is really killing my memory right now of this movie, and that's why I'm like, why am I fucking putting this note, because we, I, I, what day did I watch The Killer? I did our notes for this because I wasn't sure if we were going to do it Thursday. I did it Wednesday. So I've had, I watched and rewatched this movie no, a little bit ago <laughs> and I watched the killer on Friday. So, but yeah, that was, that was us visiting this movie. Um, it's one of my all time favorites. Of course, I know it, I feel like I sounded so uneducated a lot in this because <laughs> I, I, one, I, it's been a long day. Had a bunch of trucks come into work, had unloaded a bunch, shit ton of stock. So I'm I'm kind of tired. Not gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh god, um, I I feel like I'm gonna do really well going off acapella here. 
I talked about when the very first scene of this movie I talked about was the the diner scene where they pretty much found out Tommy died and De Niro cried outside. But I stayed and continued to watch this movie because I part of me feels like I might have actually seen Joe Pesci get killed. And that's no, I definitely saw the blood at least because they they cut to that when after Jimmy's on the phone. So that's probably what hooked me in because I actually started this list on Letterboxd and I'm doing I'm putting every movie from the age of zero to 16 because that's where I really feel like you're a child because once you learn to drive, you're no longer a kid because that takes responsibility. I know I sound old, folks. I'm sorry. Not all can do it. Though. Not all can drive a car. But anyway, <laughs> I, I made a list. Bry underscore movie underscore guy. Um, go follow people. Um, but I'm making a list, and so far it's over 300 movies of just movies. And I've been like super like there. There were some movies where, for instance, I watched The Wrath of Khan when I was younger, and I watched the fourth one and the first Star Trek movies when I was younger. And I was about to put the third one on there, and I caught myself like, wait, I didn't see this until much later. So I'm kind of proud of myself that I can almost pinpoint moments of like age range because a lot of a lot of them are early 90s, late 80s movies. Not going to lie to you, but this movie I think can be almost like one of those movies that kind of sparked something in me with my love of movies. Um, I've I think my first Scorsese movie was Taxi Driver, though. I could be wrong on that. Yes, I could be wrong. It could it could be this. I could be wrong. It could be this. But I, for the longest time, in my top ten, there's always this and there's Taxi Driver. Now, I could throw in Wolf of Wall Street here and there sometimes. I don't know. It depends. But all of his movies are great. I love After Hours, King of Comedy, um, Wolf of Wall Street, Irishman, Sh- I love Shutter Island. I think Shutter Island's really underrated. I think King of Comedy was one I've... Uh, mean Streets? Mean Streets is a really... That's like his very... That's a, That's another thing I want to touch base on because I haven't done my Killers of the Flower Moon movie review yet. That movie's excellent. That's another movie that I've tried to keep in the lockbox here. Um, my, sorry, the Rolodex. <laughs> Let's be real here. It's My mind is far from a lockbox. I forget shit all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, but like um, Scorsese is my all-time favorite filmmaker because I feel like he is someone who understands what it takes to make a good film and entertaining film. Now, I will say that Killers of the Flower Moon isn't necessarily for everyone, but you have to take in consideration like this was 1990, De Niro's in it. We go to 1980. Raging Bull, De Niro's in it. Uh, 1970, oh, what is Mean Streets? Mean Streets was in 1970 along with the taxi driver and stuff like that. These guys have been working together for 50 years. And then he switches to DiCaprio. Well, he he's, he dual welds. <laughs> DiCaprio is if uh, the shotgun's out, if you know what I mean. But um, it, that's how I would put League them. De Niro is the shotgun. De Niro, and... Um, Leo is the 44 on the side for, you know, up close and personal things. But De Niro, then... And it, it, he kind of goes back and forth between Scorsese and... Uh, fuck, what is this? I just had it in my head. I feel like I've only mainly seen him with Scorsese, though. Scorsese, and he's been in 
Who's that other director we did a whole month on? Tarantino? Yeah, he's been in a couple of tw- Tarantino. He only did uh, Jackie Brown. I think you might be thinking Django. of... Django. He's not in Django. No, I'm talking about Leo. Oh, see, I thought you were talking De Niro. No, no, Leo, dude, Leo, like, Leo has to be, like, one of the smarter actors of our, like... He's never done a comedy, I feel like. I feel like the fact that Scorsese, like, has Harvey Keitel at his disposal, he has uh, De Niro at his disposal, Leo at his disposal, Pesci at his disposal. Um, Brad Pitt? I don't think Brad Pitt's ever done a Scorsese movie. He's done a Tarantino. Oh, yeah, but I'm talking about Scorsese, mainly. Anyway, since we've gone off the rails here, Goodfellas is just, like, re-watching it recently. You should uh, add a... This is just off the top of my head. You should add, like, a train wreck every time you say we go off the rails. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Well, I was thinking, um, next week, might as well do this now. How would you feel about Hot Fuzz? Now, for every time... Shame. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, not shame, not shame. But you're you're thinking the right thing. Well, uh, oh no, no, no. You, I was thinking something else. I know we shame, <laughs> but every time we use the phrase "the greater good," I'm going to have to put them to going the greater good over it, even if we just are accidentally saying it. He does a lot of over the top stuff, like jumping over the fences and. Oh, that movie's great. But we're gonna get into that one next week. But for it now. Is. To end this one, to, let me just wrap this up the best way I can, because I am just rambling on, and we know whose fault that is. <laughs> Anywho, uh, <laughs> so, Lighter flicks. Goodfellas is one is a once-in-a-possible-generation kind of movie. Um, you always have those tippy-top movies that can define a decade, and for the 90s, for... Goodfellas to come out at the very dawn of the 1990s is a huge thing. Now, it gets weird because for 90s iconic films, we obviously have Goodfellas like this, but you have to put in weird things like Jurassic Park, but then you have to put in family things. Don't don't shiver at Jurassic Park. I saw it. You can shiver at Jurassic World. I'll allow that, but not Jurassic Park. <laughs> um, but then we kick back to Home Alone. But then what else do we get? We go further into 1999 because we have to include everything 90s, The Matrix. That's such a weird variety of, like, you get a mob movie, you get a family Christmas movie. But there's, like, and then Schindler's List, Spielberg, another director of this time frame. Um, Now, Casino, Scorsese does Casino after this. It's very shortly that Casino's comes after this but he does kind of something rare he goes into a remake of cape fear and i feel like he he's with de niro again because him and i don't know what number of movie this is for scorsese and de niro but they've done 10 films now altogether as of 2023 um the 90s weren't as friendly to scorsese as maybe the 70s and 80s were and the reason why I think the late 2000s were cut for him because in 2006, even though the reason why I'm getting into this, it's all part of the spiel. Um, 2006, Scorsese finally wins for best director for The Departed. But this should have been it. If any movie, if not Taxi Driver, if not Raging Bull, which both should have gotten him the reward. 
um oh the, i keep saying reward the old award um this should have been the the nail in the coffin but because this it's just a it's just a fantastic film it's one of my all-time favorites i think if you change out anyone from this movie it's not nearly as good because everyone brings this authenticity this atmosphere to them if Scorsese, the music was so pivotal to this, Scorsese had the music cues written into the script. That's how important music is to Scorsese, and it's very clear in all of his movies, including, especially this one. Um, do we hear Layla a lot? Do we hear a lot of Rolling Stones drops? Of course we do, but again, like, I think <laughs> it's those, even in Killers of the Flower Moon, some of the music that he plays in it, it has a, like, if the Rolling Stones were in the past vibe to them, but it also has a Sopranos opening. Do you know the Sopranos opening the sound that woke up this morning, got myself a gun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm just going to finally Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. I don't know how he would be as a mobster, to be honest with you. I didn't he play. I think he might've played Jimmy Hoffa in a movie once. Actually, you can look that up, but I think it is time to cut this close. We It is running a little late, and I'm also getting pretty hungry, and uh, we got a little warning sign that we have to... Our, our recording time's coming to an end, but how do you feel about Goodfellas? It's a good movie. I feel like I haven't asked your opinion about Goodfellas at all. Um, on the note of Goodfellas, before I finish up, I also want to dedicate this episode to the memory of Ray Liotta, who passed away a few years ago, sadly. Um... I feel like if he really had a chance to capitalize off the... He wasn't nominated for Best Actor. That's something to point. Joe Pesci is the only Oscar winner from this film, which it is rightfully earned, because I love Pesci in this. Um, But I think De Niro should have been also maybe a Best Supporting Actor nom, but I get why they didn't. Um, But Leota deserved his... He deserved his... Anyway, um, next week we will be doing Hot Fuzz, the Edgar Wright-directed film from, I believe that one is 2008. Um, but yeah, uh, I, w I am your host with co-host Cody Wilfong, and I am Bry the Movie Guy, and we will see you next world in a world, or <laughs> next time in a world. And, and as we like to say, bonjour. <laughs> Oh, you want something? Huh? Oh.